Let's go. Hey guys, welcome to the number one podcast in all of the world, particularly in Australia and combat sports in general. Um, let's talk about Rob Font versus Cody Garbrandt. Cody, no chin is gone. Yeah, it's so yeah. weird that everyone who's getting knocked out in 2021 but mm. not Cody Garbrandt. I mean, <laughs> he's taken a bit of time off. And to be honest, before he fought TJ, he was still undefeated. Yeah. Um, and then in the, the no, I'm pretty he, sure he he lost outside of. The oh UFC. yeah, sorry. Yes, in the he UFC. Was un- yes, yes. he was undefeated in the UFC. Yes, yep. um, and then you know after his two losses to to TJ, then he became very emotional in the in the scrap. And soon as he soon as he saw like he had he created a little bit of damage and he'd rock someone and wobbled them, he'd go into the kill and get caught himself. And that's what happened with Pedro Munoz, and. Um, a lot of people weren't too sure how he was going to rebound after that when he was t- when he was fighting Hafiar Sanzao. Um, to be fair, that 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 KO was very spectacular, but it wasn't the most uh, refined KO because it was very much just swinging as hard as you can and from the fence, pretty from much. the fence and catching Sanzao in the last couple of seconds, right? Yeah. Um, if but it was a phenomenal knockout. It was a phenomenal yeah. knockout, but if it's, but it was very dangerous because you know to go crouch that low and come off the fence, it would have been quite easy for Asanzal just to go for a knee, or you know, a teep, and it would just uh, smacked him in the face. Mm-hmm. Um, but phenomenal KO in itself, and then he's had a little bit of time off again. I think it's the space of time that he's been taking off that's improved his chin. Yeah. A lot of people have said, oh, it goes to show if you grow out your beard, you know, <laughs> you, you, you know, you can take shots better. Yeah, yeah, well, I, I, it's definitely not due to that, but it like the time off, the period of time he's had off in between these, because having like three KOs back to back, that's got to reduce your chin. You know, that's something that's a very limited, you know, limited supply of how much, you know, damage you can take, regardless of, you know, how many fights you've ta- you've you've had in the past and how young you are. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Cody's very, very young. Very, very, very young. And it goes to show that he's still got room to improve um, and has made leaps and bounds of improvement because he fought very well against Rob Font. Did, but yeah. I did say when in our prediction that Rob Font was going to beat him. I did think he was going to... I did actually think Rob Font was going to KO him. Uh, maybe walk into a right hand. I'm pretty sure Rob Font... Uh, expected the same thing, you know, mm-hmm. but that jab was just so good. Yeah, I think the jab was what made Rob so good. I mean, even at the start, they said his game plan was to use his crispy jab. He even had Calvin Cater in his corner. Mm-hmm. And but one thing that they're was both from the New England cartel. There you go. And then one thing that was really impressive though from Cody was his wrestling. Rob didn't really have many really good takedown defense. Cody took him down pretty easily for a few, t- uh, quite a few times. And yeah, there wasn't much resistance to be honest. Yeah, and. The way that that uh, Rob sort of figured out was that he noticed that Cody was trying to draw him back to the cage. Mm. There were times where you could see Cody actually, uh, what is it? Uh, you can actually see Cody like backing up against the cage and putting his hand against the cage like he was doing in his previous fight. But one thing that was still really, really good was Cody's got really, really good evasive boxing. There was head movements very yeah. good, just very fast. There was definitely some of that old school Cody Garbrandt. Um, like uh, evasive uh, boxing because there were times where Rob was just swinging at him and he was actually dodging. He was doing really well, but he just didn't have something to counter that jab. And 
it was like it was such a frustrating fight for me to watch as well. Cody almost looked um he a lot of people said oh he looked less emotional but I thought he was just a different emotion. It was less angry and like that furious kind of Cody Garbrandt. He looked a little bit scared. Yeah. He looked a bit scared of the firefight and um, a lot of people have been telling him to like not get emotional and get in and get into these situations where you know they're trading for shots and then you know it's whoever's chin you know holds up and you know in the past Cody's chin hasn't held up mm-hmm. and, he, and he's lost those firefights even though he particularly has way more power than them. Um, he almost looked a little bit scared to throw full combinations, you know, um, really good movement. Really, really good movement, moving moving around on his feet, uh, in and out of range. His head movement was incredible. Um, it looked like when he was taking down Rob, he wasn't really doing any significant damage. He, There was one point where there was a little bit of a scramble um, and Rob was actually going to go for a Kimura. Yeah. And then Cody actually, because he tucked it in so he couldn't get you know pulled across his back, but then he actually managed to flip and reverse it, and then they after the scramble they got back up. Yeah. So in terms of Rob Font's, you know, you know, jujitsu, it's very good. It's very good. Um, takedown defense didn't really put up much of a fight until the later rounds where Cody had a little bit less energy. Yeah. First and last round were probably the closest. Uh, yeah. Like you know, that the last closest. Round. Was definitely a, a slugfest. It was that I thought mm-hmm. someone was going to get knocked down in that last round. The the first round, particularly though, a lot of people weren't too sure. I still counted it to fo- font because in that first round, Carbrandt still got like rocked. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when he, you know, he even taken down font, you know, we talk about if takedowns, if you've got strikes and then you've got significant strikes, then you've got takedowns and you've got significant takedowns. Mm-hmm. And if you take someone down and you don't advance position, you stay in full guard. You don't even get to half guard or, or you know side control, and they quite easily get up. Well, you know, and you don't really get any significant strikes yourself and ground the pound. Can it really be that significant? Probably not. It's probably more of a waste of energy, if anything. So, in terms of that, I felt Rob Font still won the first round, and I think Rob just dominated Cody. I think he dominated Cody from round one to five. Yeah. Um, looked like Cody was a lot more active in one and five, but two, three, and four. Just looked um, like he just couldn't seem to like get himself going or confident but enough. But that's like that's the power of the, the jab. That's the power of the jab, power though. Of the jab. And he was just, I, I feel like he was just worried about getting knocked out. One thing that I thought that might be just I was um, sort of giving thought to this morning was mm-hmm. we put up a post recently on Instagram about a wave of cuts that are going through the uh, UFC right now. Didn't they cut like nine fighters or something last week? Cut nine fighters. Nine yeah. fighters. And Jock Ray Sosa was also cut as well. That was not part of the the nine. It was a, a separate nine. That was a they, separate these were all outside. I believe they were outside the top the top fifteen. There you go. Um, Jacare was actually in the top fifteen, um, but he got cut because he'd been losing a considerable amount of fights. Yeah. It's just I think that because you know Cody had locked, got knocked out three times in a row. He's lost four of the last of these last five now set five fights. He kind of felt like oh I must be thinking to myself if I lose this by knockout he's probably gone. And the second thing that was on my mind was the fact that this man went through so much adversity. He had COVID and it was a really bad case of COVID. His family had COVID. He tried to train with COVID and mm-hmm. he said he felt so lethargic and he was started coughing up blood and all these 
because on all this medication and isolation. Issue with his bicep as well. That was the second thing. Like he'd just gone through so much just to get there, you know. Mm. I felt like what if that fight would have been a little bit different if he hadn't you know, gone through that? What if he kept going, like, you know? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, I think all... Because this is all in the space of one year. I mean, we typically, typically Cody's cardio is pretty good. If you look against his fight against Dominic Cruz, that's probably his best performance. And he's very active in that fight, especially with head movement, footwork, things that typically do consume a lot of energy very quickly. And that was across five rounds against, you know, one of the, you know, one of the best people in the UFC, if not the bantamweight division particularly, um, for footwork and movement. And his cardio was fine. However, it looked like, you know, he was struggling a little bit in those later rounds. And that could have been perhaps some damage from COVID. You know, the I don't know if it caused any, you know, lasting issues. The reason why I bring up the cardio is, you know, Rob Font actually, like, outstruck him by a large margin. So, particularly on the numbers, um, 183 strikes uh, Rob you know, through 176 landed, which is, well, which were significant. Um, 78 by Cody Garbrandt and 63 significant strikes. So in terms of significant strikes, Rob Font had three times as much volume. And yet he could keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. And I think it was just the power of such a crisp, crisp jab. I know in the lead up, uh, Cody was actually asked, you know, everyone's been talking about, you know, he's got such a good jab and it's going to be a huge fact in this fight. And he said, well, I'd rather have, um, you know, a powerful right hand that can knock someone out than, you know, a fast jab. And in my head, I was like, but he's an amateur boxer, like with a really good uh, record of 32-1. and one. Surely he knows that the jab is what dictates the fight. Mm. You know, the, the, you know, the nice strong right, yeah, that... That ends the fight, but what controls the fight is a really good jab. And we start to see that more and more now, you know, with Kamara Usman, his jab has got really, really better and um, even knocked out Gilbert Burns with, with just a jab. So, yeah, I've, I don't think it's... Everyone's very quickly to get back on the bandwagon of, you know, Cody, Cody you know, is, is washed up and things like that. And I don't think he's washed up. No, I, I, I think he, he's still got a lot left in him. He's very, very young. But he's only twenty nine. He's only twenty nine. But and Rob Font's I think thirty three. So he's in his in his prime. Yeah. Um, what I think it's interesting though is Cody has talked a lot about moving to one twenty five. Um, I don't want to see that happen. I do. Really? Because he's actually said that he knows a lot of one twenty fivers that are actually bigger than him, um, that are able to cut down to 125 and have really good performances and they walk around heavier than Cody. Cody is actually quite light for um, a bantamweight. So yeah. he walks around at maybe like 143. Well, he was supposed to fight Davidson Figueroa, but that fight fell, that fell through COVID and bicep, bicep injury. Yeah. yeah, But the thing with Cody is I think he, like if you, what you want to do is compare him with TJ, mm-hmm. fellow teammates and TJ tried to do the whole thing, moving down to 125. He even had to use EPO in, in order to, you know, get down there anyway. That's his excuse anyway. Um, but TJ, if you look at him now, he's a big bantamweight. He is a huge yeah. bantamweight. He's shredded. But if you look at the pictures of him in the training lab, 
he's massive. Yeah. He's as big as Michael Chandler, who's a 155er. Right, if you look at them side side by side, have you seen them side by side in the training lab training? No, but I know that to get to flyweight, he pretty much nearly fucking killed himself. Yeah, well, it was probably one of the most like craziest weight cuts ever. It definitely, but I think if you compare him to Cody, and Cody is much lighter than TJ, and he doesn't get very heavy, um, you know, he doesn't get very heavy in between camps and things like that. He stays pretty pretty light. I would suggest Cody could move down to one twenty five. Um, and another very interesting bit of news is Sean actually put out a tweet after Cody lost and said, um, you know, guess what I'm thinking, which means he's insinuating that he should fight, um, Cody because they've had a little bit of back and forth and that could perhaps be how Sean O'Malley infiltrates the, you know, the, the rankings Mm. because Sean O'Malley is currently unranked. That would have been oh, that would be nice. They definitely did have a bit of back and forth. And Sean O'Malley, he doesn't does he have a fight booked? He does. Yeah. Well, you know what else I wanted to see? Maybe Jake Paul versus Cody Garbrandt because Jake oh Paul put God. out a tweet afterwards saying, "I don't know what's worse, watching Garbrandt Cody losing your fight or not being able to ride the roller coasters on uh, Disneyland because obviously it's insinuating that um, Cody Garbrandt he's five foot seven, and then." Um, <laughs> Cody responded with roller coaster these nuts. <laughs> <laughs> the the thing, yeah, that I don't understand that though because Jake is like two oh five, two ten. Yeah. And he's literally talking shit to a guy that's seventy pounds less than him and has no chance of like fighting him. Yeah, I honestly think that Cody Garrett could if he fought Jake Paul, I would love to see him just wreck him. Just wreck him. Definitely a height and size disadvantage for him, but you know I, he. I, I bet my house on Cody. <laughs> would you? Yeah, I bet my house on Cody. I fucking wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't. I would. I don't know. I just we got to feel it. I think Cody is amazing. I think his head movement is insane, um, and obviously really good amateur background, thirty-two and one. But to be honest, I mean, I don't have a house, but I still bet. It. <laughs> I still place a bet on him. Yeah, I'd might, I wouldn't bet the house on him, but I'd, I'd do a small little fiver or tenner. But I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't do too much because you know. Put my savings on it, pretty much. If, okay, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that because the seventy pounds is seventy pounds, dude. Um, yeah, no, don't I do still that. I still feel like you could beat him. Though. I mean, if you look at that, I mean, his experience, especially as an amateur, come on, I reckon he can crack him. Mm-hmm. Height and size disadvantage. I don't think that would work that well. Yeah, well, yeah. Fair enough. That's what they say about um, Jake Paul versus, sorry, I'm um, Logan Paul versus uh, Mayweather, you know? You're, you're also comparing a 32 and 1 amateur boxer who, you know, has been, and, and people have said he has a questionable chin. Yeah. And then you're comparing it to Floyd fucking Mayweather. <laughs> against Logan Paul, who <laughs> who most likely has less boxing skill. Context is everything, but yeah. still, less uh, someone who's got experience versus someone who's got. I'd say okay, I could give him a little bit decent experience now, but either mm. way, I'm um, just. But let me ask you this though, just to steer away. Mm-hmm. If you think Cody Garrett should move down to flyweight, who do you think he should face, or if he stays? At bantamweight, who do you think he should face next? Personally, my take, who I think he should fight if he goes down to bantamweight, I don't want to see him straight fight straight away for the title, obviously because that's Davis and Figueroa's book. Well, I'll ask you a better question. 
Who? Where does Rob Font go since he won, and okay. where does Cody Gardrant go since he lost? Okay, so, um, Rob Font first. He's mm. in a bit of a tight spot because Corey Sanhagen is meant to fight Dillashaw. Mm-hmm. Peter Yarn's meant to fight Aljamain Sterling for the for the rematch. So whichever one comes first, I feel like Rob should be booked for. Because if we get Sanhagen versus Dillashaw, okay, mm-hmm. let him have it. They have the winner. But if Yarn and Aljamain Sterling um, get it first, then obviously Rob Font. Rob Font should get whoever's in the winner of the next fight, you know? That's what I think. Um, and for Cody, if he stays at Bantamweight, I would like to see him fight um, Marlon Moraes. That would be interesting as well. Yeah. Um, What's for, your take? For me, I think if Rob, Rob Font's won, he's currently number three in the rankings. We've got TJ and Corey. Um, TJ's not in the rankings at the moment. However, ex-Bantamweight champion and was, was stripped um, even though he never lost. Um, and he's going to fight Corey. I do think Corey wins that fight. However, Peter Yarn versus Aljamain. It's a very weird moment in the bantamweight division since Aljamain's going to fight um, Peter Yarn. They're going to have a rematch. And then Corey Sanhagen versus TJ Dillashaw. The winner of that is supposed to be the title eliminator, so they'll then have to fight next. So I would say Rob Font should fight the loser of Peter Yarn versus Aljamain Sterling or the loser of Corey Sanhagen versus TJ Dillashaw. Um, with Cody Garbrandt, I really... Before that he was supposed to fight against Rob Font, I actually had whispers that he was going to fight Jose Aldo. Mm-hmm. I think that would be cool. Jose Aldo versus Cody Garbrandt, that's a, fu- that's a fire fight mm-hmm. for sure. Um, I get the Marlon Marias one. I think that is a good move just because... They've had a similar up and down career in the last couple of fights, mm-hmm. so I do understand that one. Um, so maybe, maybe Jose Aldo or Amala Marais, I think would be would be interesting. Because isn't Jose Aldo fighting Pedro Munoz next? He's got a fight booked. Who? Uh, Jose Aldo. I have not seen if he has anything booked at the moment. Actually, okay. I don't think he has anything booked at the moment. Okay. Anyway. Um, Next thing I want to talk about is um, Paul Felder retired. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting retirement. So a lot of people were say, calling him out saying that he was uh, ducking people, particularly Islam Markachev, since um, Islam you know, was trying to get a top 15. Unfortunately, didn't. Now he's fighting Tiago Moses. Uh, is it Mo- Moses? Um, most likely, Islam is going to run through that guy, unfortunately. Um very weird that he's not getting a, a top 15. However, he is everyone's worst nightmare. Yeah. Um, he's the guy who everyone should be scared of. Yeah. He'll just st- steamroll most people in the, in the lightweight division. Um, just amazing pressure on the feet and on the ground. And he's been struggling to get a fight since he actually asked RDA. Well, RDA had been asked, turned it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, However, that's because... RDA has actually had surgery mm-hmm. uh, very recently and it's too quick a turnaround because yeah. he's injured. Um, then Paul Feller was asked and he turned it down. And Paul actually had to quickly say, look, I am re- I'm retiring. Everyone keeps calling me out that I'm, you know, ducking and weaving away from competition, particularly Islam Markachev. However, I couldn't, I had to turn down fights and not give any explanation because I couldn't tell anyone 
that I was going to retire until today. And yeah. now today, which was which was yesterday, he has now said, look, I, I'm, I'm retiring. Um, look, amazing fighter. I really feel like he beat Dan Hooker, to yeah. be honest. I, I feel like he was... Uh, it was a close fight. It was close. Um, I... It might verge on the conversation of robbed. I really think that he beat Dan Hooker. Uh, I believe that he beat Dan Hooker as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, most fighters do. Most fighters do think they're the the one that fight, and it's like, okay, I we get it. We know you did, but in this circumstance, I really do think that Paul Paul Felder definitely beat Dan Hooker, which would have been a different kind of fight trajectory for him, because um, then he had to take a really, really late notice fight against RDA cut a huge amount of weight yeah. in a short amount of time well, like, he was prepared he wasn't even training in MMA triathlon he was, was trying yeah so to say that oh yeah he's scared and, and I, I just don't think he's just I feel like he's moved on that's what I feel like he made it clear that the energy that he once had to you know be in the gym because he could never be not in the gym mm-hmm. now that he's 37 now um you know he's just nearly 37 this year you know, he's getting closer to 40, which, you know, that's okay when you're in a, a light heavyweight division or a middleweight division or a heavyweight division. However, if you're lightweight, it's just a huge list of hungry motherfuckers. Yeah. And, you know, he, he was just thinking, look, if I'm not going to touch that title or I'm not going to be in the contention for title, like to fight for it, I don't see the point. And he, he also said, um, look, I, I could never stop being in the gym. But at this point, look, he, he is struggling. Yeah. You know, he used to be one of these people that couldn't get out of the gym. He just loved being there all the time. And he says, look, I've probably a few months ago, I've I hit mitts. And then after this, I was like, fuck this. I don't want to do that. Yeah. And he seems like that fire is just burnt away. And that's normal because okay. because in those fights that he's done, they, were it, it, they take a lot out of you yeah. mentally, the, so that, that fire. You, you could see that with... um. Dan Hooker because he was so emotional. He even mm. quit there in the cage. He says, "Nah, I think that's the end for me," mm. and he kept going back and forth, back and forth between retirement and coming back and retirement and coming back. And I just felt like it's. I feel like if he just does this now and just puts it to bed, then he can just leave it because. I feel like he's a. F- you gotta understand the fucking lightweight division. It's like a shark ward, like a shark tank. He's got two losses already. You know. I don't feel like he wants to make that even worse. He's 17 and 6. He's 36. He's just, he's moved on to something so much better. I feel like commentary is where he's really passionate about. He's very good at it. Actually, it's triathlon that he's most, he's most excited for. And that's the best thing because a lot of fighters, once they leave the UFC, that's it. Like, what do I do now? Because one thing you got to do, obviously, to quote Jocko Woolick, to keep going in life, you got to find your next mission. You got to find something that you're proud of Mm. next, something next to do set your sights on and it's also being brutally honest with yourself like you said you can't he's not really going to go for a title i can't see him going for a title shot he's too far from a title shot and he's it's just he's past his prime so now he's got a new mission to focus on i feel like he can just keep getting better as a journalist or keep getting better as a triathlete because and then let because if he's got all this other stuff he's not going to want to be coming back to fighting no no 
So because it's, it's almost like you've got one foot out the door, which is essentially what's been happening. Yeah. He's had one foot out the door. Yeah. Um, I would like to just run through his most notable wins. I mean, number one would obviously be his win over Charles Oliveira. He made him tap to strikes, mm-hmm. knocking him out uh, by TKO. And what's interesting about that fight is, you know, after... Paul Felder beat Charles Olivier. Very, uh, you know, Charles might even say it was a little bit embarrassing because he then had the image of being a quitter, that he'd quit and he tapped to strikes, right? And that's not really a common thing that you see in the UFC or in MMA in general, tapping to strikes. Um, and then following that loss, it really motivated Charles Oliveira to be on this huge, huge win streak. You know, now, now coming up to, I think, eight or nine win streaks and then, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, um, winning the winning the lightweight belt over Michael Chandler, it really motivated Charles Oliveira to become the lightweight champion mm-hmm. and to you know turn around those that you know turn around from that that point in his life and go on a massive win streak. So I think if if you're going to talk about Charles Oliveira, Paul Felder has to be very connected to his story. Mm-hmm. Um. His other wins, notably, would be, you know, um, James Vick. Uh, he rematched Edson Barboza, so he, he lost to Edson Barboza in the past. He and then it bothered him bad. And it did bother him, and he uh, he beat Edson Barboza. Um, so he avenged that one loss that was pretty much bugging him. Yeah, and his other wins is like Stevie Ray, Karma Worthy, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of that, he has, you know, outside of those wins, he has fought a lot of very notable names. Um, Ross Pearson... Uh, RDA, uh, Dan Hooker, Mike Perry, Mike Perry. I do feel he beat. Um, he definitely beat uh, Dan Hooker. I feel that he very much did. Uh, well, I feel like that's um what was really on his mind because Mike Perry was a split decision loss, mm. and so was Dan Hooker's split decision loss, and Rafael de Sanchez was a split decision loss. But do you remember when he fought RDA? And then one person rewarded Felder. He just looked at him. He just looked at him like, you remember, we, we actually spoke about that on the podcast. Like, mm. he was quite surprised as well. Anyway, like you said. That, that, was, that was by the one of the judges gave, um, like, made it, made most of the rounds. I think it was like a 49-48 Paul Felder. Yeah. And then he's like looking, he's like, the fuck was that? I didn't <laughs> win that fight. Yeah. Um, look, he's very straight shooter. He's a, he, sorry, he's a very... He's very much a straight shooter. Mm-hmm. Um, even when you saw, you know, the Joshua Fabia stuff, the leaked footage and all that, he just looks at him and goes, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> he's he's very much very honest, straight talker. He's very good on the mic. He's an incredible commentator. Um, and it was nice to see even, you know, Conor McGregor, he had his own little tiff with Paul Felden, actually yeah. said, you know, um, on me. you know, have, yeah, uh, and, you know, happy retirement, as well as Islam Makachev, you said, happy retirement, um, you deserve it and all that. So, look, hats off to Paul Felder, had some amazing fights. Um, and good luck to the Irish the Irish Dragon and wherever he goes elsewhere. I know he'll uh, probably move on to, you know, being a triathlete. Mm-hmm. And typically between 30, 35 and 45, that's, you know, when these endurance athletes really do strive in those areas. Mm-hmm. It really... The, the more mature athletes start to get even better and better when it comes to endurance um, sports. So good luck to Paul Felder. Um, you put on some amazing fights. And I hope he continues as an analyst because he's bloody good at it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, Jack Manson versus Edmund Shabazian. That happened on the weekend. Um, how do you feel about that? I feel like Edmund Shabazian was going to win it at the end of the first round. Very good on the feet. Very good on the feet, but just he. I feel like Jack Manson just took him to the ground. Here's what I think. If that was a striking match, Edmund definitely would have got him. He had so many head strikes, so many body strikes. He was throwing that jab. He was throwing those kicks as well. Those head kicks were pretty impressive. And then, but a guy like Jack Manson, he just found a hole in his game, and that was his takedown, uh, what he was like on the ground, and he just completely outstruck him on the ground. I feel like first round, he realized, okay, can't beat him standing up. Second round, took him to the ground for a little bit. There was still a bit back and forth on the ground as well, but it was just when he was hitting hitting all those strikes to a head, and then he had that nasty cut in the third round, it was bleeding, and he pretty much almost put him in a crucifix position as well. I just, yeah, I felt like it was a loss, but that first round was definitely to Edmund. The third and the second round to Jack, third round was the decider round. I felt like maybe if that was a five round, that could have gone a separate way. Right. If, or if it stayed standing, I reckon Edmund could have got the win there. But the way that he held his own, I was very, very impressed with. Mm. Uh, I actually thought that he did a lot better than I expected uh, coming into this round. And I feel like he's now taken this, this experience. I reckon his next fight, he'll we'll definitely see something a lot better because like we said earlier on, when you fight in a veteran and you're a young upcomer, he's 23 and you really stuck it to him in the first round. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's got so much to work on now and he's going to ha- keep evolving. So I just want to, I'm pretty excited to see where he comes from here. Uh, it's just now that this is his second loss. Mm-hmm. So if he loses again, he's, you know, he's going to have a bit of a question mark next to his name. But then again, 23 years old, 10th in the rankings in the, and he went up against number seven. So, I feel like that they're doing the same thing to him as they did Darren Till. Young prospect, got a lot of potential, and they're just throwing straight killers at him. I didn't really understand. I know they want you know Jack to get a fight and stay active, but for Jack Hermanson, number seven, to be fighting um, number 10, Edmund Shabazian, it was very weird. Just because at the time it wasn't number he wasn't number seven, he was number four or five in the rankings, and he was fighting Ed, Edmund Shabazian, who was particularly you know low in the rankings as well. I believe when it first was going to happen, there was a much more drastic difference in in positions. I think it was like six or seven different places in the rankings was the difference in where they were on the list, and it didn't really make sense for me since Jack, although coming off a loss. You know, it was a very stylistically bad matchup for someone so young and someone who's mo- mostly talented on the on the feet rather than on the ground. I feel like Edmund Shabazian, he really does need to improve on his defensive wrestling uh, and perhaps jiu-jitsu as well. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that very, very talented on the feet, I think he's very good at it. But... Um, it's not a kickboxing match. It's mixed martial arts. It, you need to be a little bit more. Do I actually think this is a little bit like a mirror image of um, of Ronda Rousey? I felt like Ronda Rousey was so good at taking people down. Her judo was incredible, world class, obviously. Being you know, a, I think level, a, a bronze medalist in the Olympics, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, look. Eben Shabazian got a lot to lo- uh, got a, a lot of you know space to grow, 
he's getting thrown sharks and he's going to have to learn really quick because they're not building him up like they really should be. Um, I feel like he's almost like a mirror image of, of Ronda Rousey and the fact that Ronda wasn't very good on the feet, right? Her striking, her boxing particularly was fucking terrible. Yeah. But she was able to just take people down and go straight for that armbar or just ground and pound, right? And it worked, right? Because she, she had very good grip strength and she was so good at just taking people down that, you know, it kind of nullified their own strikes on the feet. Ed, Edmund Shabazian, really good on the feet, but, you know, he he does have good wrestling, right? But it's just like, it's it's not well-rounded. It's not to the point where he can hold his own against people like like a Derek Brunson, like a Jack Comanson, like a Marvin Vittori, mm. you know? And uh, that's worrisome because a lot of people in the middleweight division are very good wrestlers. Yeah. And, and that, that's what makes it worrisome, especially for, you know, bring up Kevin Holland. Young prospect, really good on the feet, takedown defense, bit poor. Um, really good jiu-jitsu, but not so good off his back. So there is, there is a lot of holes I can I can see. But what I must say with Edmund Shabazian, fuck who who would expect that from a twenty three year old yeah. being put in a middleweight division? This isn't bantamweight, this isn't flyweight or featherweight. This is the middleweight division. You're twenty three years old against some of the fucking the most elite killers on planet Earth. Yeah. For Edmund Shabazian to just be in there and be number ten in the rankings goes to show that by the time he's 30, he'll be fucking amazing. But what I would like to see is for his wrestling to be a lot better and I think his takedown defense. Yeah. Here's what I think should happen now. I feel like Jack Manson should fight Derek Brunson because mm -hmm. they've both beaten Edmund Shabazian. Right. Okay. And I feel like Edmund Shabazian should fight Kelvin Gastelum. But Darren Till's fighting Derek Brunson. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. I thought he was still recovering from breaking his, breaking his collarbone. It doesn't take that long for you to heal your collarbone. Oh, okay. Well, fair enough. It, I definitely, well, then I feel like um, Jack Manson should take the winner of that fight. Mm. Okay. And then I feel like, I still feel like Edmund Shabazian should fight Kevin, Kelvin Gastelum. Yes, I think that would be a really good fight, actually. Because Kelvin Gastelum lost to um, Jack Manson via heel hook in like the first round as well. Lost to Robert Whitaker. Yeah, and then again, you got someone with all this experience. But I still feel like Edmund Shabazzian should take a little bit of time away from the competition. Because it wasn't that long ago since he fought, uh, what's it called? I felt it was too quick a turnaround. What, what can you really learn in that short period of time yeah. um, and improve your skills at that point? Uh, obviously, 23 can learn really quickly in short periods of time, much better than a 33-year-old or a 43-year-old. But, um, you know, you, you can't learn that quickly for it to be significant against the most elite athletes on planet Earth. Mm -hmm. So I feel like you should take a little bit of time off. Don't really worry about the competition yet. Um, most likely by that time, it'll probably slide from 10 into the top 15, and that's fine. Um, I think he needs to have a drop down in competition and then build up from there. It just sucks because the UFC is not building them up. They don't seem to understand how to build up fighters. They just throw people at them and then they're like, yeah, whatever works. So it's, the UFC is very much sink or swim. They don't like to build up fighters. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, they well, found out with Sean O'Malley. That didn't well, work. They tried to with him. And now they're building him up with, you know, a few cans. Yeah, but, you know. I mean... Well, Sean, well, still like Sean O'Malley's still got a long way to go. Even though he, he's getting better, though, he just got his brown belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Mm. So he's definitely improving. Yes. He competes a lot. He's very active. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. You're right about that. It's the young fighters, especially at 23. Like, Kudos for that. 23 in the UFC and you're number 10 in the world in the middleweight division. You're older than us. <laughs> He's, yeah, he's one year older than us, and yeah. he's he's top ten in the in the UFC middleweight rankings. Yeah. That's fucking insane. So hats off to him. Yeah. I wouldn't be um I wouldn't be too upset with this loss. It's against Jack Hermanson for fuck's sake. Yeah. So he just needs to really work on his wrestling yeah. and, and his takedown defense. Here's the other thing. Just put this out. Just putting this out there. He first appeared on Dana White's Contender Series at the age of eighteen. Mm. 2018, and there you go. Uh, no, no, my maths off. I'm sorry. He'd be 20. 20. Oh my God, Jesus, I can't. Uh, so I was thinking about our age. Yeah, he'll be 20. My bad. Um, yeah. So he was 20 years old when he mm-hmm. made his appearance on that. So and then since then he's been he's gone on nothing but a win streak. He won the Ultimate Fighter finale. And he's just kept going since then. This is this this is the first time though he's lost. Second, this is the second time he's ever lost though. In his professional MMA career, he was undefeated when he came to the yeah. UFC. So it's rather now than later, because like they say, if you're always winning all the time, you're not learning. No. So that's what I mean. Anyway, uh, we come to the end of the line for Jacare Sosa so- so- in the UFC. Yeah, it's uh, it's. Pretty, I mean, it's sad. Did she, I gotta ask. I I kind of we kind of saw this coming. We kind of called it on the last podcast. Well. It was quite quickly that he got removed from the rankings, and then usually, if you get removed from the rankings within the, in the next day or two, they say, "Oh, he's been cut." It's quite unfortunate because you know he's a bloody good fighter. Yeah. Um, coming from Strike Force, obviously, obviously being a middleweight contender as well. Um, just a bit upsetting because I felt like maybe he ne- it could have one more, one more fight, and then send him off, but. The UFC's not very much like that anymore. Now they they send them on their way very quickly. Yeah. To be fair, forty one years old, uh, definitely getting on there, definitely getting there on age. So it is. Uh, it sucks because he's a bloody good, bloody good grappler. Yeah. Um. However, you know, he, he got he got beaten very very quickly. Yeah. Um. By uh Andre. Andre Muniz did very, very well. I know a lot of people did not expect him, especially the commentary team. Joe Rogan and Daniel Cormier said he's not then he's not going to submit yeah. um, Jacare Souza, And he did in the first round, break, breaking his arm through an armbar. Um, uh, that's a four-fight losing streak. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's not good. Because we say three mark, three, three is a question mark, four is a... Yeah. Four, four is like a... Yeah, three is a question mark. Four is an explanation mark. Five is a uh, is is cut. Yeah, and uh, which is weird because there's a little bit of inconsistencies when it comes to cutting athletes in the in the UFC right now because Dana's cutting, you know, he he cut Yoel Romero, yeah. which was very weird, right? Um, since a lot of fights with Yoel Romero were actually close fights, right? Yeah. They weren't that, you know. I think you have to take him with a pinch of salt. However, you know, with the losses with um, with Jacare Souza, 
you know, he's lost four of his last five. However, you know, you're still keeping Donald Cerrone around. You know, if you include his... All right, there was a, a draw to Nico Price and that got overturned. However, you know, that's a five-fight losing streak. Unfortunately for Cerrone, Cerrone should probably be cut if it if we're, yeah. if we're being honest, comparing it to other athletes, then you know by that same you know brushstroke, then Don Cerrone should be cut as well. So it is upsetting that some fighters are being chosen to, you know, be around longer mm. than other fighters because you know Souza's been cut when there are some other fighters in the UFC that should probably be cut as well if that's if that's the case again 41 years old he's not really really gonna get any faster he's not gonna get any quicker he's probably not gonna learn too much uh new skills or anything like that he's fought in jungle fight dream strike force and the ufc uh as well as gone to you know abu dhabi and things like that as well for grappling submission grappling so look he can continue to do Brazilian jiu-jitsu and things like that. It's not like a, you know all his his income is gone. Um, however, forty-one years old, he's an amazing, amazing Brazilian MMA fighter. Mm-hmm. He's definitely a Hall of Famer, and uh, it is a shame that it had to end so abruptly um, against you know a, a f- you know a quickly rising prospect. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I do believe that. His days of competing aren't yet over, but I completely understand why the UFC would want to cut him. Yes. Uh, and I feel like it's kind of holding up, and I feel like if he got another loss, then he would have been he would have been in big trouble. Um, also, just looking at the um, rankings, he's removed from the rankings as well. Yes, th- that's what they do. They So a couple of days before they actually announced that he was cut, um, they removed him from the rankings, yeah. and that's typically a telltale sign that they're <laughs> they're getting rid of him. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. and that's that's the case. Mm. I mean, thank you, thank you for some, thank you for a phenomenal run, and we wish him all the best. Anyway, so moving on, next week we got uh, Rosenstrike versus Augusto Sakai. Now, mm. both men, I got a feeling this is going to be a firework a fireworks fight because. Both are coming off a loss. Mm. And Rosenstrike was judged quite heavily for losing to Cyril Gain. Yes. And Augusta Sakai, who did he lose to? Um, anyway, but both I know that both of them are coming off a loss and they both need to get a win, especially for Rosenstrike, considering he's had some pretty horrific knockouts. You know, he lost to... Uh, he lost to Francis Ngannou. Francis Ngannou, Cyril Ngannou, Cyril Ngannou, Francis Ngannou. Yeah, and that was brutal as well. So, and Augustus Sakai, he's ninth. Rosenstrike, he's sixth. So, there's definitely a bit of a gap between the two of them. So, I'm quite excited to see how this plays out. But then again, um, a lot of people were judging um, Rosenstrike in his last fight, saying he was very gun-shy. Yes. I wonder how that's going to turn around. Uh, definitely an interesting fight. You know, Shazino Rosenstrike, prior to, you know, fighting Francis Ngannou, very not a gu- he was definitely not a gun-shy uh, opponent, especially not with his mouth either because he was he was calling for Francis Ngannou. Nobody calls for Francis Ngannou. No one. 
No one calls for Francis Ngannou. And he said, oh, there's this big scary guy, you know, Francis Ngannou, I want to fight him. And that's what he did. Except, you know, Ngannou knocked him out very, very Flat quickly. Flatlined him. Flatlined him in the, in, within the first 10, 10, 15 seconds of the first round. Um, then bouncing back from that pretty horrific loss, um, four against Cyril Gahn. And, you know, arguably... The fans argue it wasn't a very interesting fight. I felt it was a very interesting fight. However, it wasn't exactly what we expected. We expected a little bit more give and take from from them, and they both seemed to be very uh, calculated and 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 calm, especially uh, Cyril Garn. And he was just picking apart, whereas Rosenstrike uh, looked a bit slower. He looked a bit fatigued, and he also looked just a bit fearful mm-hmm. of getting in the. You know he. Often they really try and avoid, you know, really embarrassing moments, especially when they've just had their, fir- you know, they've had their, a very significant loss in the UFC. So it was a bit weird to see his performance with Cyril Gunn. Now he's bouncing back very quickly again to fight Augusto Sakai, um, who's currently number nine in the rankings. So it, it is a very interesting fight. Um, Augusto Sakai, interesting fighter himself. I'm not too sure who I actually take in this fight, to be honest. I think I'm I'd like. I, would I think I'm going to go with Augustus Sakai. I would like to look at the odds. Actually, I yeah. want to look at the odds first because that's always a very interest, uh, interesting uh, tail sign on who is expected to win. And then there, there are sometimes where we agree with them, and sometimes we don't. Mm-hmm. However, you know, I always like to look at the the rankings. I feel like Rosenstrike definitely can bounce back very quickly. You yeah. know, before you fought Francis Ngannou, very confident, never lost ever. Yeah. Even outside of the UFC, right? Loses to Francis Ngannou, huge, you know, KO that would definitely impact your ego. And the ego for fighters is, is huge, right? Mm-hmm. Especially, you know, that mental preparation. Then lost to Cyril Ghan, looked a little bit gun shy, similar to how Francis Ngannou fought... Um, Derek Lewis after getting dominated badly against uh, Stephen Miocic. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if if Rosenstrike was expected to to win this fight since, you know, he has a good track record. Mm. Um, if I look at the fight odds... Um, They're very evenly matched. They both have... I mean, Rosenstrike is 11-2-0 and Nosikasa Sakai is 15-2-1. Yes, Rosenstrike is uh, a minus 138... Um, favorite wow. Augusto Sakai is a plus one ten under underdog. That's, that's quite even matched. <laughs> very evenly matched. Um, you know they're obviously very similar size, I believe. Um, six foot two is Rosen Strike. Um, six foot four is Augusto Sakai. So he's got a little bit of a height and reach advantage. Um, actually, no. Rosen Strike has a one inch reach advantage. Okay. Um, Sakai has a two inch. Height advantage. Um, Sakai came from uh, Bellator, then moved over to the to the UFC. Um, once he joined the UFC, it looked very, very good until he lost against Alistair Overeem, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, got knocked out in back of 2020? I think yeah. it was uh, around September. Yeah, um, September 2020. That's when he got yeah, knocked out. Yeah, so look, outside of that, 
he's had very a very very good track record uh having a loss in bellator against dan charles and you'll remember his fight against czech congo in bellator um who's a big power puncher himself and that was a split decision um following his loss to bellator he went to immortal then he went on dana white's contender series won that um and then was undefeated in the UFC until uh, he lost to Alistair Overeem. Yeah. So he's got a, tr- a proven track record. And Andre Olovsky he's beaten, uh, Marcin Tabura, yeah. uh, Blagoj Ivanov as well. Yeah. Um, Considering his losses to um, Alistair Overeem, who's pretty much a legend of the sport, mm. we talked about so many times, and he's just unbelievable strike. He's probably one of the most skilled fighters. A loss to Alistair Overeem really isn't that much, considering he went nearly five full rounds with him. Yes. He just lost in the final 30 seconds of the last round. So re- that's why my money's on Sakai. Yeah, well, the interesting thing about Sakai is he's very, like, um, it's it seems reminiscent of, uh, what do you call it? A fellow Japanese-Brazilian fighter. Ah, uh, fuck. I'm forgetting his name. Leona Machida. Um, oh, yes. So Leona Machida, being a Japanese-Brazilian fighter, um, had a nice... Background in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, however, was good on the feet, knocking out a lot of people with very significant strikes. Now, the same thing occurs with Augusto Sakai, being a Japanese-Brazilian fighter, um, born in Brazil, mm-hmm. good Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and as well as uh, very good on the feet. So, look, it's a very interesting fight. Um, I can understand why it's so easily contested since Rosenstrike has a proven kickboxing record yes. and was previously undefeated in the UFC before he you know, lost to Francis Ngannou. I think it could be a little bit too quick a turnaround for Rosenstrike. I think it wasn't too long ago that he lost to Cyril Garn, um in February 2021, so almost in March. So that, that was about two months ago. And now he's fighting again against Augusto Sakai, who's in the top 10. That's a really quick turnaround. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I'm not too sure if that's the correct decision. I know Sakai did get knocked out by Alistair Overeem. Um, but that was September last year. So September last year. He's had a little bit of time to, you know, to have a little bit of time off. I would also put my money on Augusto Sakai. And I I would say... Mm, it's very interesting. Do you think it can go to a decision? Yes. Yeah, you think so? I, I reckon. Because I, if we don't get... I reckon... Because here's why. Augustus Sakai lost to Alistair in, in the fifth round. Mm. And Rosenstrike, he got knocked down the first round. So I got a feeling both men are going to try and put each other away in those first couple of rounds. If that doesn't work, they're going to pretty much gas out quite mm. easily like they would, uh, like heavyweights do. And then I got a feeling... It will go to a decision. I reckon it will probably be a split decision to Augustus Sakai because I just feel like it's going to be very, very close. Look at that. That could be uh, that could be something as well. However, with Augustus Sakai, um, probabil- probability-wise, it you know it probably won't. In terms of probability, it probably won't go to decision because uh, in the UFC, out of um, out of all of Augusta Sakai's fights, he's only went to the decision once. Um, and with um, and with Josino, uh, Josino Rosenstrike, he's only went to decision once as well, which was his last fight against um, 
his last fight against who am I thinking of? Surigan. Um, so probability wise, I don't think it will go to the decision. I think it will go by knockout. Yeah. I think it's knockout by uh, Augusto Sakai. I think it's too quick a turnaround for Rosen Strike. I think Sakai is very good on the feet. I think he's got the power. He's got a good track record. I know uh, Rosen Strike's very good on the feet as well, proving kickboxing record. It's going to be a close fight, but because it's so close, I think it could produce a knockout because they're going to be trading back and forth. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, they'll start to get in really furious um, exchanges because there's a little bit of fire lit under Rosenstrike's ass. If he gets a third loss, you know that that's a big question mark on on him. So I, I'm going to go for Augustus Sakai. Augustus Sakai uh, winning by TKO in the second round. Okay. Second round really is deadly, eh? Yes. N- second round is deadly okay. for, for most fights right now. Um, all right, let's move on to Walt Harris versus Marcin, uh, Marcin Tybura. Mm. So um, you'll notice that Marcin Tybura, he actually fought Augustus Sakai. Um, he lost to um, Augustus Sakai, however, bouncing back. Uh, Marcin's going to be fighting against Walt Harris. Now, Walt Harris is also bouncing back as well. Um you know, Marcin Tybura, after fighting Augusto Sakai, who we just spoke about, is going to be fighting Josino Rosenstrike. Marcin Tybura is on a four-fight win streak after losing to Augusto uh, Sakai, doing very, very well. Three of those going to decision. His last uh, win actually was against Greg Hardy, and he knocked him out. Um, he last fought in December of last year. So it'll be interesting for Walt Harris since he also fought uh, early this year, I believe, against Alistair Overeem, was it, was it not? Um, interesting to see how that goes for Walt Harris since he's had a little bit of a little bit of bad luck as of late. Yeah, he's. I feel like this is going to be a bit of a clean, not clean cut, but I feel like this could go towards Marson's side because Alice, uh, uh, Walt Harris lost to Alistair Overeen and. Volkov, both by punches and by knockout. Mm. Marcin Tibera, he sort of bounced back really well, like he said, against Augusta Sakai. But also, Marcin Tibera is younger, with more experience. Walt Harris is actually older, Mm. with less experience. Yeah, and he's had a little bit of a difficult situation with his last fights. Yeah. Um, And I think that was after him losing his stepdaughter. I think his stepdaughter, there was an awful kidnapping incident that happened. Unfortunately, she passed away, which yeah. is really, really sad. But he looked to bounce back after that. And unfortunately, you know, he got thrown some killers. He got thrown Ag- Alistair Overeem mm-hmm. and uh, Alexander Volkov, both very, very good, um, very, very good um, kickboxers, particularly, um, well, both of them actually. Volkov, really good kickboxer as well as Overeem, very proven kickboxers and M- mixed martial arts mixed martial artists, mm-hmm. both being former champions. So, look, those losses are not big question marks, I think, against Walt Harris. Yeah. I think those are really good fighters. Because prior to that, he did um, knock out Alex, uh, Alexei Olenek. Um, look, I, I, I'm i not too sure how that goes with this fight. I, I probably would take Marcin Tybura. I just think, you know, he's got youth on his side. Uh, he's a little bit lower, less in the rankings. I think he's number 11 in the rankings, whereas Walt Harris is number 8. Uh, in this fight, I think Tybura will just have to put a lot of pressure on Walt Harris. I think yeah. perhaps body strikes will be a huge factor in this fight since last time uh, Walt Harris 
you know, got a hor- horrible body kick, yeah. um, teep to the body. It was beautiful, in fact, um, by Volkov. Alexander Volkov, and it just dropped him, dropped him down. And there was a little bit of a delay in terms of the, in terms of the, st- you know, the damage of that strike. But I think Tybura, if he continues to strike to the body, he could drop down the the you know the older fighter of Watt Harris. I think Marcin Tybura could take it. Yeah. I can't. Really, it's not really too much to argue. Pretty much. Do you change. agree? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's just, I just feel like everything was just now more more experience, less age, better experience. Because if you think of Marcin Tibera's losses, one of them is to Derek Lewis, who probably is going to fight Francis Ngannou. Who wants to fight Francis Ngannou? Fabricio Wadum, who's a legend of the sport, and yeah, I just I don't understand why Walt Harris is above. Um, Marcin Tabu in rankings. So I feel that's a quite strange quite strange. But here's the thing. Again, I if Walt Harris loses this, I reckon that's gonna be a question mark next to his name because he's that age, how much can he take? Uh unfortunately that that is very true. Now um because he is thirty seven. Now a lot of people in the light heavyweight and the heavyweight division have a little bit more success as they're older. Um and become a little bit more mature and things like that. We, we've noticed that with um, particularly uh, Jan Blakowicz. Yeah. Um, I really feel that Tybura is very good in the feet, being he's an M1 global uh, Grand Prix champion uh, as well as a heavyweight champion. So look, with my son Tybura, I think he can beat Walt Harris. I think... Um, most likely he's going to have to hit to the body just because Watt Harris is 6'5", Marcin Tybura is 6'3", and um, he'll have to get past long log lengths and a little bit longer reach. So I think with Tybura, he's going to have to smash the body in order to take down Watt Harris. Again, with Watt Harris, lovely guy. I think he's really nice. Yeah. Um, but I think I think he maybe should take a, te- a step back in competition because... Um, Tybura is looking really good in his last couple of fights. And that's a four-fight win streak. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of momentum coming behind that. Considering he, one of those wins was over um, Greg Hardy, who was supposed to be like some sort of a hype train, you know. A little bit overhyped. A little bit, little bit overhyped. A little bit overhyped. Yeah. Um, but I would take Marcin Tybura, and I'm going to say... I'm going to say second round TKO <laughs> as well. Yeah. Is that deadly, that second round? Because I'm pretty sure it was the second round where Volkov got... Um, well, Harris. Oh, let me do check Just that. I check think that it was. You are correct. Second round. Yeah, there you go. It was also the second round in which he lost to Alistair Overeem as well. So there could be a, a thing about the second round. Second round is like that perfect little balance between like got a little bit of information in the first round. You've you've downloaded a little bit of their tails and their feints and things like that. And then that second round is where you've got the most amount of energy because in the third and the fourth, that you know, and the fifth, your energy starts to sap when you've got less probability of knocking out that person. That second round is like the perfect little little bit of like balance in like power and the knowledge and information you've taken from the fight i can't help but see this meme every time there's someone in the second round like uh you know when you're playing video games you lean back and you're chilling and then you lean forward and then you take it and then you take it very seriously oh yeah yeah. that's what everyone does like they just chill back in the first round (laughs) and they lean forward in the second round (laughs) take it seriously you know what i mean anyway um next up oscar de la hoya 
Yes. Fucking, well, what's, what's this guy's deal? Um, I don't really know what's going on. So apparently Oscar De La Hoya was actually offered to, well, G- he had a fight offered to fight GSP. Um, and apparently GSP was very excited about it. He said it was a dream opportunity. <laughs> he said he really wanted to do uh, a, you know, a boxing fight and against Oscar De La Hoya. <laughs> I believe he was his, I think Oscar De La Hoya was his second favorite boxer. I think first being, I think it was, um, it must be Sugar Ray Le- Leonard or something like that. I think it was now with, um, with that, that's unfortunately not going to happen because yeah. it, w- it was vetoed. Um, so even though GSP is retired, when you do retire and you do not get removed from your contract, the UFC, particularly Dana White, is able to veto anything from happening yeah. and you're still technically under contract even though you're retired. And they will freeze that account. They'll freeze that contract when you say you're retired and they will warm it back up mm. when you have any form of uh pretty much they control you you're their bitch yeah. and um gsp is on a lead on the ufc and he's a cut that lead off the same thing happened with dan hardy dan hardy's now free from the ufc mm-hmm. however he was retired for eight years after having a medical condition mm-hmm. right diagnosed and he wanted to he wasn't given he kept on asking for a fight for the ufc wouldn't give it to him and he said well fucking let me go then mm. And they had a little bit of trouble in letting them go. And eventually Dan Hardy did did get low. Obviously GSP, bigger draw. Yeah. Huge name. Best in the sport. Obviously the GOAT in MMA. And uh, the UFC have GSP's contract on a lead. And mm. it's 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 unfortunate that he's he's vetoed it. Now the second bit came after that is Oscar De La Hoya then after went went after Dana White, calling him out. Yeah. And then said, I'll fight you as well. Yeah. Very interesting. I want to find the quote. Yeah. But just let me bring up some background. I feel like I know why Dana White's doing this though for two reasons. One, he's not on the best grounds of Oscar De La Hoya. That's correct. Yeah, I mean, he had a go at him. He can't even remember fighters' names and all that sort of stuff. And he's a, we can agree that he's a pretty bad commentator and all and he's definitely got some form of drug He's problem. more just drunk and on coke. Yeah. But the other thing is that Dana White doesn't have the best relationship in the world with GSP. Like, Dana White remembers because he had a go at GSP when he'd lost... Well, no, sorry, when GSP won to Johnny Hendricks. And then he got mad because we need to make sh- we need to run that back as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Because, but then GSP set, announced in the cage that he was going to retire. Mm-hmm. And then he takes four years off and then comes back and fights the champion at the time, Michael Bisping and beats him. You know, Dana White doesn't just does not like that, and no. I feel like he kind of resent he kind of resents him a little bit for doing that, for just you know taking four years off and then just coming back fighting, but then you don't defend the belt as well. It, it kind of dilutes the value of the belt. Yeah, and correct. the belt is everything. The belt yeah. is what they've essentially built their whole combat sport around yeah. right is yeah. getting that belt yeah. and if you dilute the value of the belt by just coming in dropping it and being like yeah yeah and then running off yeah then it that's the issue however he was going to defend it but he had um colitis he had colitis yeah i was about to say gastric parenthesis but that's uh, gordon ryan yeah. um which is unfortunate for gordon because yeah. gordon's now actually said he's mm. yeah taking a step back from competition because yeah. of that for now we expect him to be back there. Yeah. Anyway, quick aside. Um, so with Oscar De La Hoya, I actually have the, the tweet. So he says, 
at Dana White, quit blocking George St. Pierre's chance to fight. How about we get into the ring first, little bitch? Then after I kick your ass, I'll fight a real man. Hashtag De La Hoya GSP. Hashtag let GSP fight. But you know Dana White's actually got really, really good boxing skills and he's looking jacked right now. I don't think he... I, mm, yeah, Dana White's looking He good. said he was going to go professional and he didn't, right? And, and things like that. And there was all kinds of like, maybe like fights coming out there for him. Well, but I've seen him on the mitts. He's not that good. He's he just was he's fight Tito Ortiz at one point. To be fair, he's fucking old though. Yeah. I mean, it's not what I mean, again, who's watching old people fight? Oh yeah, Tyson, uh, Mike Tyson versus... Um, and Tito Roy Ortiz Jones, versus, versus Chuck Liddell 3. Just let it go. Stop mm-hmm. being children. I don't even see the point. I feel like Oscar De La Hoya is just cooking up a bit of shit because he needs money. I think he needs money, but I think for any kind type of retired boxer, they love attention. Yeah. Not even that, but Dana White even said to Oscar De La Hoya, yeah, cocaine isn't cheap. Yeah, 100%. But like, um, I, th- I think that Oscar De La Hoya just had an issue with stepping away back into a more seasoned role where he does he's not fighting and he doesn't have the spotlight on him. And I don't think he likes it, which is why with him and having a big cocky personality, he talks a load of shit. You know, he has his promotion, the Golden Boy promotion, that gets tanked because of fucking Tito. Um, but then, you know, he's always rubbed sh- shoulders with Dana White, you know, rubbed him the wrong way. So... I think he's had an issue, which is why he's coming back and he was drunk as fuck. I th- he really wants attention, right? And I think that's what he wants. I think he wants attention. He wants to feel young again. He wants to feel like he's in his boxing prime again, which he's not. And I think for him to fight GSP, I think GSP could beat him just because I think De La Hoya is just not, he's not De La Hoya anymore. No. De La Hoya back then would beat GSP, of course. It's yeah. a boxing match, right? However... Um, Delahoy is just—he's not Delahoy anymore. He's like a shell of Delahoy. He's old. He's obviously abused his body a bit with with drugs and things like that because he's got a bit of shit, some real shit going on. So, look, uh, if he wants to fight Dana, Dana White, that would be hilarious. It won't happen because if Dana lost, um, that would not look good on the UFC, even though he's not a fighter. And um, to be honest, I don't think Dana would uh, pass a t- piss test. I think, <laughs> I think uh, he would, would Oscar. He would have to be. Um, he would have to be like. No, no, they would be drug tested. In yeah, boxing, they'll they be. Te- dro- they can test positive for cocaine. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Um, but with John Bones Jones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> with Dana, he's not going to pass a piss test, and uh, he's most likely just going to ignore it. He's going to talk some shit to Oscar. Um, and he, it's not like he needs to fight. Yeah. He would probably want to beat up Oscar anyway. Even, how does Dana even make the time? Don't really know. But uh, the main thing is Dana's not going to pass a piss test. Uh, sh- he's not. He's not going to. Te- he's going to test positive for fucking everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> because we be, there's all these memes going on around him saying like um, Dana what two photos of Dana White and then they say oh. Dana White looks like he just went from being a car salesman going through a divorce to the guy from Fast and Furious. I know, I know. That's fucked. Yeah. 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 Do you rec- uh, what do you think the chances? I don't even think anything's going to happen. I just don't. I feel like... No, it, I don't it, think anything's going to happen. But even if it does happen, it just downplays the sport of boxing. Yeah. Like boxing just keeps getting like further and further and further um, downplayed. Like There's this bloody... I didn't even want to bring this up on the podcast, but there's this... Because I watched it over the weekend and I just laughed. But there's this thing coming up 
of this TikTokers versus YouTubers. Yeah. Have you seen it? I, w- I had a look at that, yeah. And I just, like, it's so cringe. Half the people on the card haven't even admitted to training mm. at the press conference. I'm like, this is just, it's just ridiculous. Like, you, you can't play boxing and they're acting like they can. And they just care about the fat check because they have so many followers on YouTube, on TikTok combined. I, I thought it was funny that they they when they introduce them they don't introduce what they do or yeah. what they do they like the what occupation they have it's how many followers or subscribers they have and I'm like so that's your like meter of success that yeah. oh forty nine million I'm like yeah and and what so it's funny how like that's their clout money and subscribers is all kind of like what they care about it's it's, it's a joke. I honestly feel like it's complete joke. Like I, they're even getting people who have already fought. Like um, who are they getting on the card? Like uh, they got Deji KSI's little brother. I actually see him being the the dark horse. Okay, and uh, they got um an Anison Gib. And he's gonna get fucked up. And then they got um one guy who's actually got five years worth of experience. I can't remember his name, but then they got this guy called um Bryce Hall. He's a twat. He's, he's a, a fucking twat. He's, got, he's, on, he's sourced. He's on the source. Is he? He's, he's, you know, more plates, more dates. Mm-hmm. He, he asked him um, if he's, well, he's... He said the thing about... Uh, he, he believes... I think he openly admitted to taking Psalms. Mm. So, not even that, but they had like a bullshit fight at the press conference. Yeah. I kept talking about slapping. And I was like, <laughs> but you guys know you're fighting, right? Yeah, he couldn't even trash talk for shit. Last thing I want to talk about is uh, Fury versus Wilder 3. So unfortunately, we were going to see Tyson Fury fighting Anthony Joshua. We were about to see, you know, the good side of boxing. And here the bad side of boxing comes out. The politics, the really dodgy contracts that have all kinds of little weird bits. And now Fury versus Wilder 3 is going to happen. Nobody wants to see the fight. Only Wilder wants to see the fight. I'm most likely Fury will win. Um, it's obviously a little bit weird since they're going to fight very soon. Despite Fury, he'd been preparing for a completely different opponent. Um, he's most likely going to be- beat Wilder again. Um, it's it's really weird because as as of late, I actually learned that Fury versus Wilder two actually was not a good fight in terms of making money. Apparently, Fury versus Wilder two actually they lost money on. Really. Fury vs. Wilder 2, they actually lost money on because Fury and Wilder were actually overpaid. So they sold like 800,000 pay-per-view buys or whatever it was, right? Which is a considerable amount of money, so, right? Yeah, for true um, boxing fans. Exactly. But um, in terms of, you know, fighter pay, they were overcompensated with the fact that, you know, the amount of money that they made, they actually lost money on the production yeah. of the, the promoted fight because they'd actually paid Fury and Wilder so much amount of money mm. that the amount of buys that it did do wasn't significant enough for them to actually, you know, be compensating for that amount of money. Yeah. Um, and that's the issue. Cause now number three is happening. A lot of people aren't super interested in the fight. Maybe in the pandemic, they might watch it. However, due to the arbitration and with the judge stepping in and saying, Oh, in Wilder's cause clause, um, you know, they couldn't fight during, you know, during the pandemic. Now they can. And there's a clause in his contract that says, you know, they he no matter lose, win or draw, they do get a trilogy, which I find is weird. That's so weird that you've got a backup plan and you haven't even fought the guy yet. Yeah, well, 
not even that, but the date as well is pretty close. It's in July 24th. That's less than... That's pretty much two months away. When his, when, when his fight against um, Anthony Joshua was supposed to be in August, the 14th. There you go. So a little bit earlier than it was supposed to be. You yeah, know, about three so weeks earlier. It's a bit strange now, considering also Tyson Fury is posting a lot of photos of himself on holiday. You know, chilling, relaxing, getting a couple of girls to wipe sunscreen on him. And then he... You know, he's making all these videos with his little brother and his son, mm. calling out Jake Paul. Well, it's yeah. so weird. It's so I feel weird. like f- I feel like Wilder can win this one though. You think so? Because apparently Wilder's got a new coach now, and he's looking so much better. Well, he dropped his own coach. Yeah, he dropped. I I think he won't look better. Yeah, but I think he'll look the same because he never learnt that he probably lost to Fury. He, yeah. he made so many excuses and when you make so many yeah, fucking true. excuses, <laughs> yeah. you did you really learn? No. No. Yeah, I remember that, all those excuses. He said he had egg wakes in his hand. He thought his water was poisoned. He thought, he said that the thing he wore that out to the ring was too heavy. Come on, Jack, what else? He said it was about six. He so said he injured uh, himself or... It injured himself. He said he hurt. His legs were really sore from the, the heavy suit even though he also says that Throughout the training camp, he wears a 20-kilo weight vest anyway. Um, he said uh, the gloves were improperly done, that he may have – he had egg weight as well yeah. in there. Um, and he said that he thought his corner poisoned his water. Poisoned his water. So it's pretty much everyone's fault except his own. Yeah. Um, or you could say you lost fair and square. Yeah. And you move on. Yeah. And you get better, and you beat Fury properly. Um, to be fair, that first fight, Fury should have won that fight anyway. It shouldn't have been a draw. Fury outboxed him. Yes, Wilder took him, uh, hit him down. If you, the the only thing with that round is, can, do you score the knockdown, or do you score um, the? Well, you're obviously going to score the knockdown, but do you score the knockdown more significantly than you know the rest of the you know four minutes of the round or three minutes of the round where Fury outboxed Wilder? You know, if we're going round by round, Fury beat Wilder the first time. He knocked him out the second time. Why are they having a trilogy? Mm. Doesn't make sense. Yeah. Anyway, guys, thank you very much for for listening. If you haven't already, uh, like notice that we have a buy me a coffee. Um, that's going to be on our link tree. You can mm. click on that. We've got yeah. different memberships, yeah. basically supporting the podcast. Um, and the money just goes towards, you know, better equipment, better quality, so that, you know, it's a better product every time that we produce an episode for you guys. Um, thanks so much for listening, and uh, stay take, tuned. Take care, guys. Like, subscribe, comment. We love you all. Thank you very much, guys. Catch up. Bye-bye. See you next week. Peace. Bye-bye.